0: Amen. Yes, gentlemen, those of you who have made the unfortunate decision to go with Pastor Wall's group, you may leave now. And uh, I'm just kidding. Take your Bible with me. Those who are fortunately staying, the wise ones of the church congregation, take your Bible with me and turn to the book of Psalms, please, tonight. The book of Psalms, Psalm 46. I'm actually going to look at two different Psalms this evening and we'll start out in psalm 46 i want to talk about a topic tonight we've been pastor morris and i've kind of switched off on uh the topic of um uh, christian uh christian virtues and this is kind of along the same lines and i think one of us either he or i spoke on the topic of patience or endurance the ability to make it through a hard time Uh, and to do so with patience. We talked about that. He and I both have kind of covered that topic, I believe. But then I was thinking about it earlier this week, and I got to thinking about the fact that we all know that we're to be patient when we get under pressure, we we know that we're to manifest patience. So, for example, in our marriage, every once in a while in your marriage, you're going to feel under pressure, and there's a time to manifest patience in regard to that. Um, and patience, I've defined really succinctly as godly enduring hardship or trial, okay? So we're to be patient with other people. So, uh, in fact, parents are to be patient to a degree with their children, obviously, because if you're not patient with them, you'll provoke them to wrath. Now, that does not mean tolerating bad behavior, but it does mean being patient with the fact that they are children. So there's a, there's a good example. Patient with our children, patient with our spouse, maybe patient with a fellow employee at work. We have to uh, manifest patience towards that person. Scripture talks about that. We're also to be patient through circumstances. We're not to... Throw in the towel on our Christian faith because circumstances have arrayed themselves in such a way that we wouldn't like them. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever had a circumstance that you wish would just change immediately? Of course, every one of us have, okay? I have in my life. And and you say, Pastor Money, how do you get through that? Well, i found that God does not typically change the circumstance immediately. That would be very exceptional. But what i have to do is i have to be patient or endure with a spirit of godliness a godly enduring through whatever the trial happens to be okay but but then i thought about this what about the concept of being patient with god patient with god In, in other words trusting and here is the word faith comes into play very heavily here trusting that god knows the right thing now as a new testament illustration because i'm going to focus in the old testament for a moment but as a new testament illustration you will recall that jesus was close friends with martha mary and lazarus and uh, lazarus became sick and so martha and mary sent word to jesus he was some distance away sent word to jesus that lazarus was sick in the hopes that jesus would come and, and simply heal him well, you'll remember the story Jesus told his disciples, said, well, we're not going right now because this sickness is not ultimately unto death. In other words, death would not be the final result of the sickness. And so they actually tarried for about two days, kind of waited around for two days, and then um, then Jesus said, okay, now we're going to go see Lazarus. Well, when they showed up there, guess what? Lazarus was dead. And of course, both Mary and Martha, the Gospel of John talks about this, both Mary and Martha Approach Jesus and say something like this lord If you had hurried up and come our brother would not have died in other words They were impatient With the lord. Thank you. They were impatient with the lord They were impatient with god and they kind of hinted that they knew better because lord You didn't have to tarry whatever you were doing no matter how important you thought it was You could have dropped that thing and and come to the need of our brother after all you're friends with our brother And Jesus, and again I'm paraphrasing, Jesus said, well wait a minute, I waited, I tarried for the greater glory of God. And then you will recall that Jesus said the words, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. And there was a resurrection. By the way, a resurrection beats a healing any time. How many know that? Okay, resurrection beats a healing any time. It's just, it's just like a, a royal flush beats, a, beats four of a kind. Is that accurate, what I just said? Is it? I'm getting some people nodding. Okay, okay, card players are nodding. I think that's right, isn't it, John? Yeah. Whenever I play cards, I have to have a rule book because because I forget all the rules about cards. But but uh, resurrection, of course, is going to beat that all to pieces. And And so that's what Jesus did. But now listen both Mary and Martha, in their humanity, had grown impatient with the Lord. They, they, and they manifested that impatience. And now they saw something far greater than healing. They saw the miracle of resurrection. So um, sometimes, if we're honest, we, in the middle of our deepest trials, we lose patience with God. Now, we're very careful because we're good Christian people and don't want to show any any chink in our armor. We're very careful not to manifest that to the pastor. (laughs) By no means would we ever indicate that to the pastor. We're very careful not to manifest that to anyone else that's a, a good, solid Christian. But in our heart of hearts, we wonder, why doesn't God just show up? And sometimes we wonder, what should I do when God doesn't just show up? I've had several occasions in my life where I wish the Lord would just turn things around on a dime, and on none of those occasions did that happen. But there were some lessons to be learned. We're going to look at this from two different psalms. I'm going to focus, first of all, if you look at Psalm 46, verse number 10. It's the end of the psalm. Psalm 46, verse number 10, it is a conclusion, and we're going to go through the psalm quickly in a moment, but Psalm 46, verse number 10 is a conclusion to everything that the psalmist instructs. He says this, be still and know that I am God. This is the voice of God speaking through the psalmist to the psalmist. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. What do I do when I'm tempted to be impatient with God, or when I'm hoping that God will do something, but he doesn't? Number one, I need to learn to be still and to trust God. Be still and know that I am God. Now, I want you to see something. There is in this passage a progression in Psalm 46, okay? It is a progression of faith, and here's how it works, and we're gonna go through it very quickly tonight. Number one, I need to believe the facts. When I am becoming impatient with God or tempted to be that way, I need to believe the facts. Look at Psalm 46, verse number one. The psalmist starts out with this declaration. He says this, God is our refuge and strength, A very present help in trouble. Now, everybody pause. That is a fact. God is always and under every set of circumstances my refuge and strength. Listen carefully. God is always and under every set of circumstances a very present help in trouble. I want you to think about that for a moment. God is omnipresent. What does that mean? He is everywhere at once. In fact, that is part of the thing that makes him God. Satan is not omnipresent. He is ubiquitous, which means he appears to be because he's got emissaries, demons everywhere, but he can only be in one place at a time. God is omnipresent. So in the midst of whatever problem I'm facing, God is there. We said, Pastor Monty, I'm, um I want God to show himself. He doesn't always do that. But my faith teaches me he is always there. Now, let me pause for a moment because part of the reason for our trial is to stretch our faith. You hear me? If God immediately stepped out of heaven and manifested himself in every tight spot I got into, I would never have to exercise the faith that says, I really genuinely believe God. I would never have to exercise that faith. But the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And that the one thing that God prizes above everything else is human faith and human belief. And God wants me to believe in him even when I cannot see him. And so the psalmist begins with the declaration, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, what what do I do with that? I believe the facts. Because they are facts. They're declared in the Word of God. Pastor Monty, I'm I'm, I'm not seeing God in all of this. It doesn't matter if you see him or not. Those are the facts of the Bible, and I'm called upon to believe the facts of the Word of God. And when I believe those things, it will change my perspective. By the way, when I believe that God is my present help in time of trouble, I see his hand more readily than when I doubt him. Doubt and cynicism toward God always blinds me to what God is doing. Pastor Marty, I just want God to step out from the clouds and part the Red Sea in my life. He may not do that. Do you know what he might do? He might use someone to send you a text of encouragement. He might use someone to say something to you, out of the way, just a word here or there, that that, that person has no idea what that means if I'm looking for that at the time. God often speaks to our crisis in a still, small voice. It is not always something that is huge and dramatic, but but at times it's something that may be very small, and yet if we're looking for it, it indicates to us that God is present. But whether we see that or not, he is, and we're called upon to believe that because he is a very present help in our trouble. Okay, now what happens? Look at point number two. If you believe the fact, the fact that God is a refuge and strength, the fact that God is a present help in time of trouble, if you believe the fact, you eliminate the fear. Look at verse number 2. Carrying on with the idea God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, verse 2 says, Therefore will not we fear? I believe that so I don't have to fear. I spoke Sunday night a little bit about fear. Faith is the antidote to all fear. When I'm thinking the right thing and believing the right thing, I can reduce fear, insecurity, and anxiety in my heart. Those things are frequently caused by thinking the wrong thing, believing the wrong thing, listening to the wrong message. So he says in verse number two, therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed. That's a pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. Pastor Monty, what would happen if the earth was removed? I guess that means the Earth would blow up somehow. Or some kind of huge asteroid. Have you all been following these asteroids? They're coming within 200 billion miles of the Earth. They say that's a near, pa- uh, you know, pretty close miss, you know, or something like that. Pastor, doesn't that upset you about these asteroids? Absolutely not. Do you know why it doesn't? Well, what if one hits the Earth? It doesn't bother me at all. Number one, we'd all be in the same boat. <laughs> I'll be the same boat. Number two, that's just a gateway to heaven faster because of what we believe. Now, by the way, that's not gonna happen because scripture has to be fulfilled. There's a lot of prophecy yet to be fulfilled. So don't be worried about some asteroid. There will be one that's gonna hit the earth during the seven-year tribulation period. You won't be here for that. The, the striking of the earth with the asteroid called Wormwood, you will not be here for that. But what if I believe the right thing, my fears are eliminated. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Why? Because I believe the facts. God is my refuge and my strength. God is a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, no matter how earth-shattering the catastrophe is, I can trust and believe God and don't have to dwell in fear. But then Another thing to believe you believe the facts and if you believe the fact you eliminate the fear but if you believe in the eternal more than the temporal it changes your outlook look at verses four and five the psalmist immediately having spoken of a very troubled world something that is cataclysmic in the world he then calms our thinking and he says there is a river the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Now think with me. We have just gone from seeing a world in chaos, the earth shaken under our feet, to a very tranquil picture of a river. It's it's not a river that is raging over its banks. No, there is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High, god is in the midst of her she shall not be moved god shall help her and that right early pastor what what is this talking about ultimately this is a prophetic passage that speaks of the millennial kingdom age the bible says that when christ returns after the seven-year tribulation period there is a river You say, what is the river? The river flows from the throne of God. Jerusalem will be the throne room of God. The millennial temple will be the throne room of God out of that will flow a river jerusalem will change the the actual topography of jerusalem will change the city will be raised up it's already on mount zion it's a very high point it'll be raised up even further there will be a river that will come out of the sanctuary the millennial temple this is all spoken of by the way described in ezekiel beginning in chapter 40 all the way through the end of the book there'll be a river that's going to flow you say pastor Monty is it is it going to be a, a a great beautiful river yes fact, the Bible says there will be people who will fish. Fishermen will fish in that river. That's the kind of river that's going to be. Very, very beautiful. We say, Pastor, wait, well, this sounds very nice, but it's all very idyllic, but it's somewhere in the future. That's exactly the point. Because when we're in deep trouble in this earth down here, sometimes there's not a whole lot to look at that's going to make you happy. Sometimes there's not a whole lot to look at that can give you hope. There is always hope when you think about the fact that there is a river. What is that talking about? It's talking about millennial kingdom. It's talking about eternity. It's talking about the glorious future for the people of God. Sometimes we would find ourselves greatly encouraged. Pastor Monty, I just want God to fix everything that's wrong with this world. That will only happen when Jesus comes back. Pastor Monty, I want God to fix everything that is wrong with my life. I would like that too, but why am I so fixated on the now, here and now? That's problematic. Someone said, Pastor Monty, you know, so-and-so is 108 years old and pray that they don't die. (laughs) Come on, (laughs) there has to be an end at some point. Don't look at me like I'm being irreverent, okay? There has to be be an end to come at some point isn't there something better than 108 if you're a Christian? Isn't there something better? I mean, don't, don't you think, and, and I, my mother got this way before she had dementia even, before, before it was very deep. She said sometimes, I do wish the Lord would take me home, because there was something better for her on the other side. Now, now don't wish that prematurely just because you're in a crisis, okay? That would be silly, but there comes a point in time when there is something better. Isn't it true that there comes a point in time when heaven is more attractive than this earth? I think there does. There what, what if you've lost your spouse? When you lose your spouse, then this earth is a lot less exciting, meaningful. You lose children, maybe a child. That's one of the greatest losses a person can have. The, the earth doesn't seem, it doesn't hold as much. Well, I gotta hang on to this life. The older we get, the more people we know who are waiting on the other side. And the psalmist says, look, be patient with God, but while you're waiting for him, lift your eyes above the horizon of this world and start to focus on something that's eternal. We get our minds so fixated on the present moment that we forget there's something much better in the future. So we want to do that. We want to look at the eternal. Both the present time, right now, and the eternal, they're both real. The temporal is temporary, obviously. Therefore, it is not worthy of our anxious concern. Looking toward the eternal gives us perspective. We find encouragement when we focus on the good that's coming. And isn't it nice to know that not only is it going to be a better place, you know, people talk about past money, heaven's got gates of pearl and streets of gold. Well, I'm glad for that. I think it's going to be really pretty. But that's not the biggest thing about heaven. The biggest thing about heaven is all wrongs are righted. The biggest thing about heaven is all hearts that are broken are mended. The biggest thing about heaven is that we will stand in the presence of Jesus, who is the ultimate healer of everything. That's the biggest thing about heaven. And so we look forward to that time. It gives us a better perspective. Uh, Note that the temporal is on shaky ground. We read that a moment ago. But the eternal, according to verse number five, shall not be moved. Pastor Monty, I wish God would step out of the heavens and fix everything right now. We all have that wish. But when that doesn't happen, what do we do? We exercise faith and we believe. Not only that, but look at point number four. We believe in the victory of God in this world. Look at Psalm 46, verse number six. The Bible says this, the heathen raged, just like Psalm 2, the heathen raged. Here, verse 6, the heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. Do you know what I believe in? The ultimate victory of God. I don't know how many people I've had talk to me, I mean, it's almost weekly, and they say, Pastor Monty, what do you think is gonna happen with the 2024 election, okay? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, and if I did, it would be unscriptural to use it because the Bible's against those kind of things. Tarot cards, crystal balls, palm reads, don't be doing that stuff, okay? Bible's against it. I, I can't make a prediction, but I can tell you this, no matter what happens, God is on his throne okay and you say pastor money what if what if biden's re-elected i'm I'm, from a human perspective i would think that would be horrible but it does move us several steps closer to the coming antichrist come on come on i know some of you just hate that when i say stuff like that okay but the truth of the matter is we're we're not going no matter who wins we're not going to be ruined by that we don't have to be now will the nation be harmed oh absolutely look at what's happened to our country right now invasion on the southern border people being killed i mean come on folks you get this right we are in trouble in our nation, it, it's a disaster. This, this administration has been the greatest disaster of any presidential administration that has ever been, period, end of discussion. All of us have suffered from one degree or another, suffered, I say that in quotes because we're Americans, we really don't suffer, but, but we, we've had less than we've had, to one degree or another, in the last four years. Our nation is less secure, our world is less secure. The only way for a, a, strong, uh, a secure world is for America to have a big stick and to use it, to not be afraid to use it. That's the only way to a strong world. A lot of things have changed, but can I make a statement here? It doesn't matter how much the heathen rage, why? Because God is our refuge and our strength. So when, when I'm gonna vote, I'm gonna vote. I'm gonna vote for Donald Trump. Voting for Donald Trump. I love Donald Trump. He's got my... You say, Pastor money. I'm going to talk to you afterwards. You talk to me till you're blue in the face. I happen to love Donald Trump, and that's, that's where I'm voting. And by the way, I'm, I don't, I'm just bold enough to say it, okay? And why shouldn't I have an opinion? Because you're a minister. That's exactly why I should have an opinion. What in the world, okay? I, and I should be vocal about it because I have a bully pulpit right here. I can be vocal about it. So silly. Don't be silly with me. I'll vote for him. But what happens if I pass money? What if he doesn't win? You know what I'm going to do? Trust the God of Jacob, who is my refuge. I'm just going to believe God. And I, I don't have to have my world shaken. Do you follow what I'm saying? Uh, remember when Trump won the first time and all those, those liberals said they were going to leave the country, they were not going to be Americans? How many remember that? None of them did. All those celebrities, they should have gotten on the first bus to Zimbabwe, all of them, but they never did. They never left, they just stayed around, okay, because they're just just a bunch of hot air. But I wouldn't do that, why? Because God is in control, do you see this? So the biggest, most most earth-shattering things, yeah, there'll be disappointment, of course, and it's way more fun when Donald Trump is president because of the stuff he says, I love it, it's just fun every night. Kelly and I would watch the news and we would just smile doesn't he make you smile? He makes me smile. He makes me laugh. I understand the man's personality, but I've gone too far with this. All right, believe, believe in the victory of God. Uh, God will bring ultimate peace to the world. No politician will do that. From the wars that desolate the nations to the inner struggles that rack the soul, God will bring peace. Believe that. God wins, and he wins every time. Okay, while I'm waiting for God to do something, do you know what I could do? I could believe in something. And what could I believe in? I could believe that the God of Jacob is my refuge, he's the source of my strength, and he will protect me. And so then verse 10 comes up. Be still and know that I am God. What do I do? While I'm being patient with God, I take time to meditate on the truths of God. Note, being still takes time. It takes time to actually calm down enough to be still, but being still is the prelude to knowing God. You know, listen to me. God wants me to know him on a deeper level. So in my life, God's brought me through some really deep waters. Okay? That's, that's how you get to know God. Well, Pastor Monty, it doesn't, I just want to know him but not go through deep waters. Probably not going to happen. God will bring some trials into your life. You can choose to know him, or you can be bitter and resist him and be mad because he didn't step out of heaven and fix everything instantly. That's always our temptation, but it shouldn't be our default. Ultimately, we should land on the place of saying, I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust in God. When you know the truths of God in your heart by faith, knowing the truths of God involves meditation on who he is. He is gracious, he is omnipotent, he is loving, and I need to think about that. Well, Pastor Monty, I'm not seeing that in my circumstances. Get through them and you will. Do you know what the Apostle Paul said? He said, right now, but now, this present time, He said, right now, we see through a glass darkly, but then one day, face to face. Seeing through a glass darkly, think about this, it's like a really dirty window. And you can barely see for the grime and and everything, it just doesn't, you can't make out anything through the filth of the window. One day you'll see Jesus face to face. Sometimes it's enough to see his shadow through the glass darkly if you continue to, To believe it's a matter of believing and trusting it it means that I'm going to take refuge in God when there is no other refuge and he will be more than sufficient so point number one learn uh, learn to be still and to trust God now turn the page over point number two learn to remain strong and courageous I'm being patient with God I'm going through something that I wish God would just fix, but I've got to learn how to be still and know that he is God. But secondly, to learn and remain, to remain strong and courageous. Now turn in your Bible to Psalm 27. I want you to see this in Psalm 27. By the way, if you're going through something deep in your life and you need to hear the voice of God, you should live in the Psalms. You should live in the Psalms, Okay because that is the book that God's given us in the Bible to reveal to us how to get through a difficult time, how to follow that path. But again, we're going to begin looking at Psalm 27 with the last verse. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So there is the instruction Okay, the last one was a progression of faith in Psalm 46. This is going to be a progression of courage, of courage in Psalm 27. So it is not enough just to believe something. I also, now listen, I have to take a posture, an attitude that speaks of the courageous, It is a command of God. It is not an option. I'm going through a major problem in my life. What do I do? Wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Now look at me. It's my responsibility to be of good courage, and that is part of the command. Just as surely as the command is to wait on the Lord, to manifest patience toward him, I am also commanded to be of good courage. Okay, so notice the courage progression in Psalm 27. Believe the Lord is light in darkness and salvation in distress. Look at Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now, now by the way, he says that, and he asks the rhetorical question, whom shall I fear? How can he ask that rhetorically when David has so many enemies? Whom shall I fear? Because he believes, and here it is, faith again, that the Lord is my light and my salvation. That being the case, and that being something that is settled, that I believe, David says, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Does everyone see that? Faith always kills fear. When we're fearful, we're not manifesting adequate faith. David goes on to expand upon the thought in verse 2, when the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should arise against me, and this will I be confident. And what? The fact that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Now, in this passage, then, believing the Lord is my light and salvation dispels fear, verses 1 and 3. Notice, it is what I truly believe that makes the difference in my mental outlook. How can I manifest courage? And there's a reason you will want courage. We'll get in that in a minute. How can I manifest courage? Again, it comes by faith. It's by what I believe. If I really feel like my back is against the wall and I really look to God and I really believe in him, courage can arise in my heart. So, so watch this, courage is a natural result of what I believe. Well, Pastor Monty, it's all going to fall apart and be a disaster, okay? If you believe that, then you'll be very fearful, won't you? But if you believe that God is a refuge and strength, if you believe that God is my present help in time of trouble, if you believe that God is my light and God is my salvation, He will see you through, and all of a sudden, courage takes the place of fear. So it's really important. There's a progression. Believing the Lord is my light and salvation will dispel fear. But but notice something else. While I'm waiting on God, staying active in community worship helps to bring courage. Now look at Psalm 27, verse number 4. This is very practical. The psalmist talks about being confident in God, and then he talks about community worship one thing have I desired of the Lord, David said, that I will seek after. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that he would take away my illness. It doesn't say that. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that he would fix the problem. It doesn't say that. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I would win the lottery. (laughs) It doesn't say that. Look at verse four. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. Speaking of the place of worship, the tabernacle initially, then later the temple of Solomon. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me up upon a rock. Notice, Notice the references to community worship. And David said this, when I'm in a bad spot, my heart rightly longs for worship with God's people. Folks, let me explain something here, okay? When we're going through trouble, that should turn us toward the church, community worship, toward God's people, not away from it. Now, now by the way, if there has ever been a church we're hurting people can find love and care, it's Faith Baptist Church. Ever, if there's ever been a place, if there's ever been a place where people will not be judged, because I won't tolerate that. I won't tolerate the, 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 the pious freakishness of judgy people, stay away from me or you'll get decked, okay? I don't judge people, but I can punch them. And uh, I don't like any of that. That's not Faith Baptist Church, okay? What do we do? We love God, we love the Bible. We're a conservative church. We love people, and we love people through their pain, and in 26 years of pastoring this church, I have witnessed that over and over and over again, and I would never sacrifice that for anything at this church, how important and how vital that is. But well, what did we do we do? We come to church. Why? It should be a welcome refuge in time of trouble. Avoiding corporate worship unduly exposes you to Satan's influence. It, it can be, You say, Pastor, well, how can I be encouraged? because you're going through a really dark time, and then all of a sudden the choir stands up and sings a song and it ministered to your heart in ways that the choir director had no idea it would would minister. That's happened to me on many occasions in this church, to me personally. Or how about the pastor stands up and he has no idea what you're going through? None, none, but the Holy Spirit sure does. And the Holy Spirit directs the words of the pastor to minister. I'm not saying that I'm divinely inspired. You understand that. I'm not saying that. But I do believe in the, the, uh, the active direction of the Holy Spirit's working in the wording of a sermon. Because the word of God is powerful. It's the word of God. It's not the preacher's word. It's the word of God. But I believe in all of those things God sovereignly appoints sermons, texts, and topics that speak to the heart and the need of people. You know, Sunday, I gave two sermons on the life of Gideon because Brother John Layton over there just made a comment to me, and he said, I've never heard you speak about Gideon. He said, I've not heard a good sermon on Gideon. And I got to thinking, I don't know if I ever have actually spoken on Gideon. I knew who he was because I read the Bible through a couple times, but, but, uh, but And then I thought, okay, well, since that, that's a good sermon topic, and so I preached on Gideon just because. Because John wanted a sermon on Gideon. Okay? And so I did. You know what happened? So far this week, I've had probably a dozen communications, texts, calls, personal whatever, of people who said preacher, the, those messages helped me, you will not believe. I had people listening online in very distant states, hundreds of miles away, who communicated and said that is exactly the need. Now, Now, look at me. Could I possibly plan that? No. By the way, Could I manipulate that to happen? No, no. That is the divine aspect of our worship, where the Holy Spirit directs things that will meet the needs in the place and time. And you know what's frustrating to every preacher? When someone's going through it real deep and they fall out of church, and then the preacher thinks, man, that that song would have helped them. That special music could have helped them, or that scripture text, that, that could have lifted them up. But they got bitter, and they turned against it. The psalmist said in the middle of his trouble, he wanted to be in corporate worship. The church becomes a hiding place in troublous times. God's people, led by the Holy Spirit, minister to and protect the wounded. And you do that in ways that are spectacular. Maybe you don't even know. Again, this is not manipulation. I'm not about manipulation, but I am about the Holy Spirit of God using people, church members, to minister to other church members. Church always encourages the discouraged. Fellowship, prayer, encouragement, preaching, all of it can uplift us. And that's why the psalmist said, I'm going through a difficult time, but I want to stay close to community worship. But then look at verse 7. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. Here he's praying. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. He's saying, Lord, I really want to seek you. And Lord, you've encouraged me to seek you. And so, Lord, let me find you. Verse number 10, when my father and my mother forsake me, what a catastrophe that would be for parents to forsake their own kids. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in the plain truth because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. What, what is he saying? He's saying this, it's time to seek the Lord in prayer. Every time we get into a bad place, The best response is a prayer response. Now listen, that prayer response may even be in questioning the Lord. And the Psalms talk about this. There are numerous Psalms uh, that are what we call lament Psalms. And the lament Psalms, the psalmist pours out, King James Bible uses this great word, pours out his complaint before the Lord. The psalmist does this that is completely legitimate as long as we maintain our reverence it is okay to say lord what are you doing or lord where are you it is okay to cry out with your heart to god all of those things are perfectly fine the key is this you're turning to god you're not turning away from him well past money i just i just don't understand god okay so you don't get him so seek him in prayer seek the lord in prayer pray about everything but especially about things you're powerless to change. Because when you've done all you can and you can't do anything else, you can turn it over to God. And God can do things, listen to this, on his own timetable beyond anything we could ever imagine. The main emphasis of these verses is to seek the face of God, not necessarily get the answer you desire insisting upon a predetermined answer is not always good praying seeking the face of god always is good praying i don't know how many times when i've gone through something, isn't it funny how we are we're christian people okay but sometimes we have a crisis or a problem and we immediately try to figure it out ourselves anyone like that you got to figure it out i try to figure it out myself okay And then uh, maybe I get frustrated with it, whatever it is. And I I might go through a period of time. And then finally, it dawns on me, I should pray about this. Anyone ever have that? Okay, thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. Yeah, I've been there many times in my life. And you know what? Prayer can and should be our first go-to. Sometimes we only pray when we feel like we can't possibly handle this. Prayer should always be our first go-to. When we turn to God in prayer, it is giving him the problem. It is giving him that problem. So I should seek the face of God. Recognize human relationships all too often fail or prove unreliable. God is always there. Seek him. My help is not always to be found in another human being. I'm thankful for friends and for people that I can rely upon. Kelly I'm thankful for her I'm thankful for all these things but but ultimately I need to seek him and I need to ask for daily guidance okay verse number 11 look at specifically the prayer to ask teach me thy way O Lord lead me in a plain path that means something clear because of mine enemies God I want to know the right way to go I'm there are a lot of things that are pressuring me God lead me in the right path that's a prayer for daily guidance but then verse 12 is interesting because it says, deliver me not over into the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. What is he, what is he asking God there? He's saying, God, protect me from the wrong path. That's, those are two good prayers. Well, Pastor Monty, I I'm not sure exactly what to do. Maybe I'm not sure either, okay? But say, God, lead me moment by moment in the right path. And, God, make sure that I don't go into the wrong path. And i may not know what those things look like in a given set of circumstances but that is a very legitimate prayer do you know and i believe god will answer that prayer it's so past money how's he going to do that i don't know it might be a sermon you hear it might be some bible reading you do it might just be that you open up your bible and and that particular day's reading has an answer Maybe the Holy Spirit speaks very strongly to your heart about a matter. I don't know how this is going to come to pass. Maybe you're, you're faced with a decision and you just have that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach. Ever have that before? That you shouldn't do that. Well, Pastor Monty, that's just because I'm superstitious. No, it's not. That what you call the sick feeling in the pit of your stomach, very likely is the Holy Spirit cautioning you, okay? as many as we're led of the Spirit of God. If you're born of the Spirit, which you are if you're a Christian, you're led of the Spirit of God, and sometimes those things happen. I I don't know how this happens in everyone's life individually, but I can ask God for guidance. I can seek the Lord in prayer. I can look for God's goodness everywhere. Look at verse number 13. I had fainted. What does that mean? David says, I would have given up. I would have been done for. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Every word of that verse is important because I believe to see goodness. Now listen to me. I can also choose to believe to see everything that's bad. I I make a choice. I either choose to believe to see goodness or I choose to believe to see all the bad. That is a choice that I have. And David said, I would have fainted. I would have given up. I would have fallen over. I would have been done if I hadn't chosen to believe, to see goodness. But Pastor Monty, there is no goodness. Look at me. There always is goodness. The goodness of God in the land of the living is evident in the worst of our circumstances if we will but look. You know what our problem is? all of us, myself included, and probably especially, we're spoiled rotten. We're spoiled rotten. Why, the least inconvenience to us is a crisis if we have to go through the smallest little thing that, oh, Pastor Monty, you, you won't believe how horrible it is. This, My, my dishwasher broke. <laughs> what? Why is that so horrible? Because I might have to actually wash the dish. When we React to little things like that We all ought to go on a mission trip One of the one of the best things I've ever changed my way of thinking was going to Nicaragua the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere and spending time with those people I Realized what a baby what a brat What an infantile person I had been in my own thinking and how all of my first world concerns were absolutely ridiculous compared to what I saw in people there. And what was really convicting is they were a lot happier with a lot less than the average American can ever imagine being. I'm I'm simply saying we can see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You'll, You'll leave this building tonight. It's kind of chilly outside and a stiff wind blowing all day. Well, you'll get in a car and that car will heat up in about three minutes, and it'll be warm. If you, have, if you have the blessing of remote start, you could actually stand in the church lobby and mash your button and start the car right out there and let it all get warmed up before you go out there. Well, best money I have, But I, I had to park farther away tonight, and it's just such a long walk. <laughs> I know. I know, isn't life hard when you're an American? The goodness of God in the land of the living is everywhere if you believe to see it. But... If you believe to not see it, you can see everything is bad and it all is dependent upon your mentality. That's why verse 13 is so, so key to this idea. And then verse 14, wait on the Lord. Here's our summary verse. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Now, now wait a minute. The waiting is, look at your outline. The waiting is active, not passive. People say, well, Pastor Mike, I'm just going to wait on the Lord that means I'm just going to sit here in a dumb stupor in silence. Cross my legs, sit on the floor. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is active. Psalm 46, we covered it a moment ago. It's doing things. Psalm 27, we're covering it now. It is doing things. The waiting is active. It is not passive. It involves doing everything contained in the psalm. We've looked at two psalms. There are many more we could have looked at tonight. God's people are never called to passivity. Well, I've got a friend, and his favorite thing, rather than doing anything about anything, his favorite thing is to say, well, I'm just going to wait on God. I'm just going to wait on God. And I just want to scream, while you're waiting, you could do something, okay? Okay. You don't have to be mindless, you could pray, you could do something, there's always something you can do. Fulfilling the commands, the suggestions of the psalm. The waiting is not, uh, is active, it is not passive. Adopt an attitude, so he says this, wait on the Lord, and be of good courage. That's a command, by the way, that's a command. Adopt an attitude of good courage. Note the psalmist commands us to be of good courage. That means I must adopt a courageous outlook, whether I feel it or not. I must tend toward courage. Remember, courage is not the absence of apprehension. Courage is doing the right thing with apprehension in your heart. So, so Pastor Manu, you, you, you you're as bold as a lion. I want to look that way. I want to look that way. But I have a lot of apprehension. I, I have a lot of apprehension in my heart. But I don't want to show it. Why? Because if I carry myself with boldness, then that courage is actually born in my heart. Because look at the verse, verse 14. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage. (laughs) Notice the next and. And he shall strengthen thine heart. When I wait on him actively, as is outlined in this passage, and I determine that I'm going to be of good courage, guess what happens? God in his grace strengthens my heart. That's huge. In other words, I'm waiting on God in a certain way with a certain mentality. Well, Pastor money? what if if I don't feel like it? That doesn't matter, okay? I adopt a courageous outlook whether I feel like it or not. Look at point C, the very last point in your outline. When you actively wait on the Lord by fulfilling the suggestions in this psalm and Psalm 46 and a whole bunch of other ones, then and only then will the Lord strengthen your heart. In other words, God will respond with grace as we respond to difficulty in obedience to him. It's not passive. And, and the good news is here, it always works. Pastor Money, I just wish God would rend the heavens, come down and fix it. It's very natural for us to think that way. But you know what? God says, wait on me. Be patient, not just with the circumstance. Be patient, not just with people that frustrate you, but be patient with God and get to know him better and exercise your faith and believe and look to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. We are surrounded by it, folks. Let's open our eyes and let's see God. You know why? Because whether you see him or not, He is a very present help in trouble. Present means right here, right now. He is a very present help in trouble. And my faith teaches me that. And that lifts me through the difficult and the dark time. Father, I pray you'll take your word tonight and help that this message will foster in us an attitude and action while we are patient with what you're doing. Lord, we don't always know or understand what you're doing, but Father, I pray... That through your word tonight, we will adopt a stance that will get us through and ultimately cause us to see the glory of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Bless your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.